Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Once Upon a Time in the West, directed by Sergio Leone, The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, exclamation point, by David Zucker, newly released The Sea Beast by Chris Williams, The Gray Man by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo, and finally, Nope, directed by Jordan Peele. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? How's it going, Tom? I think it's going pretty well for me on this side. How's it going over there, though? How was your week of movies, man? Uh, week was a little disappointing. Uh, we got some heavy hitters here. Definitely was excited for all three of these new releases, too. Uh, but um, it's kind of coming lukewarm with these. Uh, definitely, you know, excited to talk about it like always, but... Uh, I feel like, especially for Nope, you know, I was I was real pumped to see Jordan Peele come back, and uh, I don't know. Well, there was big hype for a while oh, yeah. about this film, and I think everyone was excited for Jordan Peele's third mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Let's not let's not have everybody turn off right away. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> let's see how how bad or how low we can sink on this first one here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as everybody knows, this month this was Western month, so you know, one a week or two a week, we did Western movies. Yeah. And, and you yeah. decided to cap it here back in 1968. This is Once Upon a Time in the West, um, mm-hmm. a very famous title, very famous name, and Sergio Leone is helming it here being the director. What do we get with this classic? Does it hold up? Should it be a classic? What do we have? Yeah, uh, concluding our, our Western month, folks, uh, I mean, it is with the man that arguably defined the feel of Spaghetti Western, uh, the legend uh, Sergio Leone. The film is only two years after the beloved Dollars trilogy, uh, coming off the very ambitious Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, I think Cliff Notes for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is, well, I think both Tom and I very much enjoy that trilogy uh, specifically that last entry was really hurt by its scale it's yeah. kind of a detriment to this film style it uh, was shocking for the, the two of us when we sat down and watched it because yeah, yeah. we watched all three together yep, yeah yep, all the way through and correct me if i'm wrong but as far as us liking to not liking mm-hmm. it went the it, it was good and then bad and then ugly correct <laughs> Because yeah. we liked first one, then we I liked, liked the, the first one. I liked second one better than first one. Uh, oh, okay, a few right. dollars more. Okay, um, they kind of blend. And, honestly, they blend a little bit. Yeah, All I know is yeah. I couldn't believe how long and not exactly that great <laughs> and that's what i mean by like the scale being a detriment to the film style you know there's almost mm-hmm. a with spaghetti westerns you want it being ultra simple almost skeletal because it's about the rule of cool it's not really about a, a grandiose tale or anything like that and sergio leone of course is is 
Obviously, it gets plenty of credit for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, the Dollars Trilogy, but uh, this film, Once Upon a Time in the West, and then also Once Upon a Time in America being his last film as well. Yeah, it, you know, it's something that I think, despite this grandiose title, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is, is a much smaller story. Uh, it's about... Uh, deed of land uh, in the West in a very opportune spot, uh, but it is also like ten times slower as well. <laughs> it is a molasses. I mean, I said molasses <laughs> with uh, Jesse James. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely this is this is frozen molasses. <laughs> uh, this is a very very slow movie to a certain extent, folks. I mean, especially with all of Leone's films, it's about. Hearing that great electric guitar, uh, that very spaghetti western vibe, and almost letting the soundtrack do the work for cool visuals and just glares across the screen. Yeah, so, correct me if I'm wrong. Everyone would know this film just by the opening song, right? Uh, it's one of the classic western yeah, songs that we've come to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very prevalent with the harmonica. Yeah, uh, I would say. Yeah. you know, right in line with the with the Dollars trilogy. Uh, yeah. for that. I kid you not, though, it takes probably a solid hour before we get into any substantial plot. And that first hour ends up feeling like three. Um, I mean, a real snoozer here. I think this yeah. film is almost a perfect pocket example of what, you know, people hate in Westerns. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons of filmmaking. I enjoyed it for a lot of uh, a lot of the production quality here. Uh, but this first hour is going to, I mean, I'd say it's a hard barrier to entry because I think it is just going to bore a lot of watchers to tears, unfortunately, uh, to the point that they would probably just turn off the film. Yeah, because uh, the film on its own is two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if it's dragging that long, I can see how mm -hmm. uh, you're not really getting a lot of people in that. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, it goes it goes to maybe uh, one, one of the trends on the podcast, you know, I, I like slow films. Uh, I, I like slow yeah. burn, you know. I think uh, a peer of Leone at the time is um, William Friedkin uh, is a good example of where first hour of the film is a lot of setup and then we have a transformative second hour. Also kind of a theme with Nope that we'll come up on later on in, oh in the week, which is which I'm just realizing now, uh, you know, revisiting the notes. But uh, of films of the time, Exorcist, Sorcerer uh, uh, from William Friedkin, very representative as well of um, a, a, a establishment first hour. Sadly, this film, though, it was pulling teeth. The um, What mm. is established is more of... It's not really character motivations. It's just a lot of a lot of cool shots, a lot of cool cowboyness, a lot of spaghetti western vibes. But I, I was just I was having trouble with with substance, and I was even having yeah. trouble getting even in, in in the enjoyment of that rule of cool that I think runs the Dollars trilogy and why it's why it is a recommendation for watching in today. Yeah, which is another reason why Clint makes it so pivotal. It's so uh, pivotal yeah. in it because of that rule of cool. But. You know, as far as that goes with length of films, we mm -hmm. definitely, I mean, we can definitely like a long film. Sure. But it yeah. has to be length with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if it's necessary or if it works, and I mean, look at, again, I'll bring up Magnolia again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You enjoyed Magnolia, which is sure. over three hours long. Yep. With a purpose. It didn't mm -hmm. feel like a three-hour long movie. Yep, yep. The, the, or, or even going to like a Dune or even most recently uh, maybe a Crimes of the Future episode. A lot of slow burn stuff there, but I don't know. There, there's... 
there's uh it, there was it feels, reason there was reason behind it being yeah. a big film it feels like the real estate is uh, of the film the runtime of the film i should say is used strategically here <laughs> it's it's not that cool western vibes isn't a good use of the uh of the film's runtime but it's it's just it's a little bit pulling teeth cuz you're really just wondering where are we going with this? You yeah, know what I mean? Definitely. Um, even in my brief disc- uh, description of uh, a deed of land being the object uh, of what the story is about, we really don't get that until a solid hour in. So uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's a little tough. You know, the goal here, and maybe, you know, tying into that grandiose title uh, that Leone has here, it is for the audience absorbing the feel of the West. Uh, and a theme of this film is a slow country lifestyle. It's brought up a few times in the script, and, and we see this contrasted with the violence of gunslingers in the West. Primarily, we see this viewpoint of the desire for a slow country lifestyle uh, through the eyes of our female lead, played by uh, Claudia Cardinale. <laughs> we, a lot of ending in E's, and then, and then we have uh, Ennio Morricone. <laughs> so, I, I think for me, personally, while the whole cast was... Slightly interesting. Um, it, it had some bland portrayals of outlaws. Uh, Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson. I Jason- think at the time too, it was a big deal for Henry Fonda to be in this, playing the character that he was in this too. Yes, uh, but yeah. I don't know if that comes across in in you know the year twenty twenty two. Yeah, I, I, it definitely wasn't shocking for me. I mean, he yeah. was a little bit charismatic, but I feel like all these outlaws they have a. Oddly enough, a, a blander portrayal to where their lines kind of are drawn, what they're willing to do. Okay. They also kind of end up all with the same arc. And I mean, like, as far as the fiending of what these characters are and where they're going. Right. They kind of all end up in the same spot, which maybe that's the point. But again, I was uh, I was wanting to really like this film. Uh, I just feel like these characters kind of fell short for me. And specifically, as far as Charles Bronson playing a cool character concept his character is named harmonica and he's you know he's like a a nameless outlaw this was supposedly in the production to be these shoes were to be filled by clint eastwood but he wanted to get out of you know westerns typecasting almost we saw how we see how successful that was you know he just went into directing westerns so i guess you know Uh, he did it right for himself oh yeah yeah you know he couldn't capture how cool clint was charles bronson couldn't really yeah hold a candle to it yeah and he, who knows? I mean, in the in the uh, five movies a week uh, till forever, maybe we'll tackle like Death Wish and more Charles Bronson properties. Right. But he wasn't doing it for me. And I think the characters they all are missing some sort of hook to make make us care. That hook maybe is there after two thirds of the film, but again, it's like two thirds. And I don't know. The rule of cool wasn't um, making this one survive for me. Uh, really pulling teeth uh, across the board. So yeah, there's something about like even if you take something like there will be blood, mm-hmm. which is long and slow, sure. and sometimes just not that much happening. Mm-hmm. There's stuff where it's so gripping that you just don't want to stop watching. Exactly. And can fly by. And mm-hmm. it's not just the rule cool, too. I mean, being transported into another time in the Old West, mm-hmm. which so many of us love, mm-hmm. you still have to do it, though. Yeah. You can't You can't just be meandering in a story. Yeah, I got to care about the characters at least partially. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> yeah. e- even even with um, The Man With No Name or, or, or Blondie, how, you know, it kind of rotates uh, in The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly, right. Dollars Trilogy, you know. Clint Eastwood 
is he's at least thrown into situations rapid fire that were kind of we we kind of grab his morality from it. Uh, maybe right. a more modern example would be like Mandalorian or something like that. It's it's tested through the situations he's put in. Right. There are situations here uh, that test the morality of our of our outlaws, but I I just don't I just flat out didn't care about any one of them uh, whether they got shot or not or right, who came right. out on top. So I I will say it's a damn shame because I really wanted to like this film, uh, but the characters are just aimless uh, and it further spotlights the slow pacing if anything it compounds with it uh, I won't cut this film apart too much more, um, and you know, let's let's go ahead and shift into things, some things I do like, because this is a pretty pretty legendary Western, at least for the legacies of Westerns. Um, set design is awesome. Uh, it is a huge amount of extras here, uh, which uh, gives a lot of scale to scenes. I really think this, oddly enough, might be the director's biggest production, but I guess I'll have to watch you know, Once Upon a Time in America to really test that. I think that might be... Uh, and it's his final movie, too, yeah, yeah. so... Uh, cinematography here as well uh, is great. Uh, as drawn out as this movie is, it is really great to look at. There is a certain confidence uh, behind scenes that have to hold on something mundane, and you know you wouldn't really care about otherwise. But <laughs> it allows the viewer to really soak in every inch of the screen. A great example of this is actually in the opening sequence. We see not a train heist, but it's at a train stop that they're kind of setting up something. Outlaws are setting up something, and the train stop just looks so like actually of the time the uh the mm. the wood uh, platforms are terrible like they really look like as it terrible as it would be in the old west right right <laughs> you know? there ha- yeah, the, the setting is there yeah yeah, yeah. so there, there's a lot of respect i have to that production design and and if you're into the slow slow burn of this and you're really hooked uh, that's that's going to be a, a factor that you can soak in every inch of the screen and of course what i was most excited for was the score done by Ennio morricone mm-hmm. uh it is. Uh, it does not disappoint. Uh, it's actually shocking how much music elevates these scenes because it really is that's just all, that's guys all. looking at each other with squinty eyes. It plays the biggest character sometimes. <laughs> it really does. It really does. And I'm 100% there for it because, you know, this isn't a case where songs outside of the film are doing the heavy lifting. You know, this is all original composing from Morricone. It really does elevate. Um, it, it. If I really wanted to be harsh, it almost needs it as a crutch but uh, a perfect example I think that would I, I think you could say that yeah i think a perfect example is bronson's character in harmonica i mean without uh, this harmonica part to the score he wouldn't be cool at all you know so um <laughs> There's definitely a key component there, and I want to, uh, you know, tip my hat all, always to one of my favorite uh, composers in, in in film music. It's just it's just so infectious, so yeah. captures spaghetti western uh, and what you want out of a western. And I think today, I mean, as far as we know it, western as a whole too. Yeah, it completely shaped who would have thought this Italian mm-hmm. spaghetti western. Yeah. Guy doing the the composing yep. uh, actually revolutionized things. It's um, it's unreal. Absolutely, absolutely, and and a huge career uh, spawning mm. from this work too. So yeah, I mean, standing with I mean, Tarantino. Yep, used oh, him left and right for sure. Um, and then apparently they fought, and then he said he would never work with Tarantino again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, sadly, uh, I feel this film is all style over substance, and, and leaning heavily on Morricone's score in in scenes that truly have nothing going on plot wise. Mm. Um, 
Uh, now, granted, that's pretty much the Dollars Trilogy as well, but with Eastwood being cool as ice, uh, you know, with no real character development, I, I think that could be something that I rewatch and I'm a little less, you know, positive on, but uh, this story is tackling not not a lot as far as themes, not a lot as far as story, and lacking a lot of engagement, I think, is, is most critically. Uh, by the time the badass spaghetti western shootouts come, there's maybe 40 minutes left in the actual film and it feels like an eternity to get mm. there mm. with much disappointment we're gonna go ahead and give once upon a time in the west a 49 Ooh. I know. such a sour note to end the the western month on you know it's a bad score I, and i can't like i opened it up folks i i really i this was you were excited I, you were excited for this one i was excited for this one it's right after good the bad and the ugly and i mean there's almost a reason why i left it to the end because i it was kind of like a no duh it's it's gonna be at least a you know baseline of good but yeah westerns are not really pulling their weight right now are they <laughs> i think we've we've had good positives i mean three three of the westerns out of the five uh in the 70s i think that's not bad Okay, yeah. that's not bad. You're right. Yeah. You're you're right. You're right. <laughs> Tom, Tom wants these eighties. No, <laughs> I just want more. Sure. I want the next three months for it to be Western <laughs> Month. That's what I really want. <laughs> right. And hopefully we'll land on that long coveted eighties. Right. But hey, I mean, forty nine percent once time in Hollywood. You know, I I have seen this <laughs> once upon a time in the West. Oh, did I say Hollywood? You got Tarantino on the oh. line. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this a while ago. I was unimpressed with it. Sure. And I had that same thing of, I like Westerns. Mm-hmm. You know how partial I am to mm. John Wayne Westerns, though. Oh, yes, yes. They take, they're just mm, in a different category for me. Mm-hmm. But still, as a great Western, so excited to watch it. And then almost coming off of like, what am I missing? <laughs> yeah, Because we all know head. that. Right. Yeah. It's just like, what am I not getting here? Yeah. And so it's pretty unfortunate. But 49, it's, it's like, it. It is true. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, the pro- I don't even care enough about this to even give it a Tommy Two Shoes. Mm. You know, I, I and and to watch it again, I'm, I'm almost glad I didn't. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's it, only what Forty Nine says, dude. You don't really like to waste your time. Yeah, I, I, it's just who I, would this be for? I think old, old school Western guys that grew up with this. Yeah, Western May, in it, mind or. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're if you're gonna be my my test for hardcore Western fan, and this film wasn't hitting for you either. I mean, do, do, I don't know. Do I belo- do I deserve that torch? <laughs> hardcore? Why well, you're you're Woody. John Wayne? Yes, you're but <laughs> yeah, it's true. I am Woody in this duo. But okay, yeah. But you know what I mean? As far as like who who is it for? Yeah, I I, I think. I think if you're an appreciator of Morcone's soundtrack, this may be... Big Henry Fonda fan? Want to see a different thing? <laughs> sure, try same with Bronson, you know, if you right, really right. love Death Wish, you know. <laughs> uh, or however many of those, I think eight or nine, I don't even know. But yeah, I, I think that maybe is where this pushes into a little bit more of a positive note. But, uh, but yeah, I think... Um, uh, time waster uh, is 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 a little bit of my feeling coming off of this. And yeah. that's just that's the, that's just the real, you know. I mean, I can praise as much as I want about the scale of production and the feel of the movie, right? The look, the cinematography you yeah, liked, yeah. But, but if I'm not engaged, there's a critical flaw to my ability to recommend it for yeah. others. You and know? your love of characters too. Yeah, like, yeah. You want to you want to be rooting for a character on screen. Sure, you just want to. Sure. But okay, all right. That's enough on that, especially for 49. But that's 49 percent <laughs> on uh, Once Upon a Time. In the West, that concludes our Westerns for now. Hopefully, <laughs> right. we'll pick it up in another forum soon. 
Now we're gonna go on to the one we've the one we've all been waiting for. And for now we're four done weeks. with comedies forever. We're done with <laughs> westerns forever. Now we're done with comedies. So forever. this is the trio back at it. This is Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrams, and David Zucker again. These are the ones who originally did Airplane. We've been covering their past three films. And here they are again together. This is Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad with mm-hmm. the exclamation point. It's 1988. The only difference here is the boys are writing still. Mm-hmm. David Zucker is the only one actually directing. Yes. Uh, and we see some of his career uh, continue on directing where, you know, a lot of, uh, the two of the others, uh, they might just fall back into some of the writing and whatnot. Right. I had to do some research for this one. The full title uh, obviously references... A a TV show this trio made called Police Squad, uh, with an exclamation point and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> a laughably short run for a show, only six episodes. <laughs> Just like, whoa, <laughs> what even happened? It was like, a miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Yeah, and what they decided to work on directly after Airplane, so that missing piece of why didn't they make Airplane 2, especially when we covered it in our top oh. secret review, is like, what are they, What are these guys doing? Uh, they were, I guess, Making a bad TV show. Sh- <laughs> making a critically failed TV show. <laughs> uh, luckily, Naked Gun uh, grew larger than its origins, and despite a few characters, you really don't have to know anything about the show, which right. is great. This movie is back in full swing and thankfully we capture a little of the magic mix that airplane had um i would say a key factor right off the back is leslie nielsen coming back to be our lead he is so fantastic in this really I mean, oh yeah i really i i mean i, I don't have much experience with him as an actor i want to see more leslie nielsen <laughs> like he is he's so well great. there's a whole lot of other naked guns to watch <laughs> yeah there's a lot <laughs> uh i would say his 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 deadpan delivery is just such a perfect match for the overly stupid comedy of the trio like he's almost able to sell it you know the same dumb jokes we right. would have heard in top secret or even ruthless people would have leslie landed knew- better yeah. with leslie he just i don't know he's he's got it on lock uh and and i love it uh it really is a perfect match okay um, i like that i can't understand i can't un- understate uh that the comedy is again just extremely dumb uh more than ever maybe uh as far as <laughs> like fart jokes and uh, just like very very simple gags, okay. but it it really does work. Uh, I think this film <laughs> was an interesting bookend to uh, studying this trio because it really you know you can tell that they're they're capturing a little wow. bit of the airplane uh, the airplane magic. The here. hopes were not high for this. No, I no. was making fun of it continuously. Oh yeah, no, no, <laughs> I, and and even watching it, I was I was dreading it a little bit because I was just like, oh boy. You know, what I mean, it's it was also a, yeah. kind of an awkward idea in the sense of just watching the first Naked Gun and then not continuing on to you yes. know the countless sequels to it. So, <laughs> um, but it works. I, I really do think part of uh, I think the reason why this works better is is harsher editing. Uh, an, an interesting note, and I think important for yeah, uh-huh. of looking at comedies specifically. It's something that Top Secret didn't have. The uh, well, especially for Top Secret, a lot of the times. We just kind of hung around on the screen, and if anything, it was leaving room for laughter, you know, whether in the theater or, or, or kind of for like a funny look that a character would give to the screen. In this, the film is 
you know, will cut sharply on scenes, uh, leaving almost little to no awkward space in between jokes. Um, perfect example of this, and I'll return to it, is that every time Leslie Nielsen's character gets into a car, he gets into a car accident. Uh, like every every single time in the film. Uh, and some are just cut so drastically, we don't even get a, a second to rest. Uh, and I think why this is so important is, one, you know, modern editing of a comedy, this feels much more like a modern film that's pretty cool uh, we uh i mean it's what 88 88 yeah so i mean there's still a lot of development that can come in the years of comedy but uh especially for 90s and early 2000s but there is a, a snappierness to it and i think specifically why this works with their uh, their their writing style is that there's no fat between the jokes so by no means is it as fast paced or mile a minute or shotgun blast as we've referred to many a times with airplane in this there's no there's no breaks so it's it, it's maybe not as many jokes as something like airplane but they are getting a right. lot more in yeah and, and there's just less less awkwardness to it um i like that i mean that's definitely learning and yeah growing from a comedy i mean yeah the funny thing is this span of movies is still only eight years <laughs> right right which is pretty impressive yeah yeah they're, and the, this trio is definitely developing uh with that and that's it's really good to see yes you it's know? the whole reason why i like doing these type of studies is seeing development yeah seeing the growth uh, of what's there if there is growth right right yeah, yeah. Uh, which with with ruthless people, I really thought we were uh, we were taking a step backwards there. I didn't know if we were <laughs> if there was going to be any cohesion to to my plan here. So so I've a, I've, I don't know if it's a dumb question or not. You sure. What Go. is this film even about? Uh, <laughs> I didn't really give it. I didn't think it was going to be needed a summary. Uh, Leslie Nielsen. He's a cop. Is, yeah, he's or a, a cop. detective. It's 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 a little bit trying to be like a noir comedy there's a joke that he's always walking around like it's supposed to be like a a spoof of a detective you know cop that is he is getting involved with a plot with ricardo monteblan uh who is con <laughs> and oh, okay, uh, yeah. and uh you know enjoyable to see him in, yeah. in as many as possible he's, he's a very cool actor he gets wrapped up in a in a in a drug uh, cartel uh, that relates to a, a kill switch like sleeper cell agent for the Queen of England. And, yeah, I mean, you know. I love it. Okay, I know that's fine. <laughs> it's good. It's and OJ's in it. Oh, OJ, the juice is in it. The juice. Uh, minor role. I was I was hoping he was going to be in more. Honestly, but you can see him on Twitter these days. It's cool. Right, right. And then Priscilla Presley as well, right? Yeah. Who's like? Yeah. Isn't she like beautiful? She's beautiful. In this? That's pretty funny. And, and and just seeing Leslie Nielsen be the romantic pair with her, you know, <laughs> and then just imagining like this is Elvis's wife. You know? <laughs> I mean, that all itself is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I can't stress enough that I think uh, it is it is so much of a of a sharper no fat on the film. It feels like a modern comedy. Hour and twenty five. Yeah, and, and also let me say uh, my initial theory of like what is this a proto uh, Austin Powers no uh, if anything this film stands alone for different reasons I mean it's still maybe on the same kind of lowbrow you know jokes as like an Austin Powers you know just trying to make you laugh with any way I wouldn't be can. surprised if it was lower 
lowbrow. Oh yeah, than yeah. Austin probably. Powers. Yeah, probably. But it's also um, it, it is distinct. So yeah. in that, I, I was very positive on it because it was like I thought this was going to get lost in the shuffle, and maybe Austin Powers one day would as well to the next, you know, the next iteration, you know, in a yeah, couple decades. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but this this kind of you know it, it carved out a spot for itself. The movie itself uh, feels a bit sloppier moment to moment I would say <laughs> part of uh, part of the uh this this uh, maybe maybe a a bad spin of this sharper editing it's it's you know it's needed for maybe capturing that joke per minute style that we've been chasing but it just uh some cuts are just like oh okay we're done you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah, there's good and bad there's there's definitely good and bad i don't want to just praise it you know all the way cuz uh i think sometimes it, it the editing itself will fall just as short as a bad joke whether it had uh you know time to linger on screen or not right so. right I would say standout gags for me uh, are definitely the <laughs> – there is a famous dual bribing for info that <laughs> uh, Leslie Nielsen is, is is bribing someone and then he's bri- getting bribed for info and it's great. And again, like I said, I mean every every car scene he gets into a car accident. And some are just like – some are dumb but like some – They hit. Yeah, yeah. It was a good payoff. It was a classic thing where with Airplane, the jokes are there. You maybe get a chuckle and by like the fifth iteration it's a payoff for itself <laughs> yeah. and you are just so worn down on it it's actually funny it's it's the old thing of the shotgun blast is back yeah you know yeah. They, they definitely won't all hit for you but there's yeah. gonna be one in there for you yeah absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely but like i said i was pleasantly mistaken uh that this was not a proto austin powers uh i really gotta say naked gun has its own thing going on and jokes that <laughs> got very decent laughs out of me uh so much so that uh someone was uh, was in my was in my place at the time, and I go, "What? What are you like? Genuinely laughing at?" <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Well, I didn't think I was genuinely laughing, but <laughs> I guess I guess I really was." If there is ever a day I return to this series, uh, I will say I will be happy to do so because of Leslie Nielsen. Uh, he seriously makes this whole movie, and wow. might have been the secret ingredient ingredient to Airplane all along. We're gonna go ahead and give the Naked Gun a sixty-eight. Hey, we'll take that. Yeah, we will take that. 68's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, seriously. in the 70s. You're talking like a pretty good movie. Yeah. So 68, that's this, good. This was, I, I would say, well worth your time. Wow. Uh, it was it was, it was, was a good time. And uh, again, very shocking. Shocked. Shocked. Yeah. Especially. I mean, they did make so m- many, so something had to work at the time, at least. Mm, yeah, for the, this first like, iteration. Well, I mean, the, the money had to be there. Yeah. Or else it would have just gone, it would have been like the TV show. It would have yep. gone nowhere. But, Absolutely. Uh, wow, 68 for the, for the naked gun from the files of Police Squad. <laughs> from the files. Exclamation <laughs> yeah. point. And I think they lose that uh, for the sequels. Uh, it's like well, yeah, Naked that, Gun 2, two and a half or something like that. It's like, it's two and a half or like 33 and a half then <laughs> as well. Then there's a movie, I believe, just called The Police Squad. Oh, really? Yeah. Unless that's the sh- Leslie Nielsen is not in the show. Oh, yeah. No, he was in the show. Oh, he was? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and maybe that's why they thought it was going to be a little bit more of a thing they could bank on, you know, coming off of airplane. You know, they got their, their maybe their favorite actor, and they're like, all right, well, we could do this pilot. But. I don't know. <laughs> the amount of time we spent theorizing on these three guys. <laughs> like, they're dumb they comedies in the 80s. They gold for a, a <laughs> failed TV pilot. It's, it's mind-blowing. 
Oh my gosh! All right, so we wrap up those com- that film study, which turned out to be very fun. Yeah, um, honestly, did not have a bad time. No, absolutely not. So, so that was awesome. That's wrapping that up with again Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrams, and David Zucker. So, okay, so the next three we have coming up are new released, or at least now in theaters as well. So we just want to remind people: hey, we're going off the value for value model. We're totally producer supported. Uh, so if you can become a producer. Go to the donations tab on the website at dailyratings.com. And through uh, monetary support and whatever monetary value you want, you can show what kind of value you're getting. You're having a good time here. You're learning a little bit. You're finding yourself you know, into film a little bit more than what you were sure. a year ago. You know What does that mean? And hey, if you're not going to give anything or, or can't right now, we totally get it. But if you could... Propagate the show a little bit. Yeah. You know, you hear Spread a conversation going on about like, oh, this did well, this did well. You could be like, oh, you bet the daily right daily ratings they gave a pretty good. Sc-. You know, <laughs> yeah. we want to be in the conversation. <laughs> right. So if you can get us in there, we would appreciate it. Again, it's dailyratings.com. You head to the donations tab, and all of you who who are going to produce and everything like that, we just we can't wait to have you on board here at the daily ratings and and be a producer. We thank you so much. Uh, with that, Finn. So we're gonna start with the Netflix. I think we'll start with the Netflix release. Yeah, releases. yeah I think so. And this is a I didn't really know about this one. I think I might have saw like one commercial for it actually. Mm. This is The Sea Beast. Mm. This is a Netflix original and it's an animated kids film. Yep. What do we get with The Sea Beast? Uh so yeah, uh I w- didn't really have eyes on this until maybe some research looking for, you know, obviously coverage for the podcast folks. Uh this one is directed by Chris Williams, uh and he is a pretty accomplished director in the animation space. Uh he helmed Big Hero 6 and oh. Moana. Both very successful films, yeah, definitely, uh, and solid watches. Those are uh, A movies, for A yeah, uh, A A team like uh, Disney A list, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah this A list movies and successful. That's for not sure, any B or C anime. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, not discount bin or anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Netflix stealing him away from Disney's clutches is a pretty big deal, and also kind of a theme of Netflix scalping some talent this week. The studio itself is a bit of a mystery here. It is a co-production between. Netflix Netflix animation. Uh, we covered Klaus, but they didn't really have too much of a primary role in that. And yeah. then also Sony Imageworks, which uh, of course does everything from Mitchell's vs. Machines, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. You know, I mean, good stuff. But it's not. There's not a primary credit to both of these, so I don't know if this was just like that's weird. Netflix slapped together a team, and then Williams. Sony, uh, you know, because Klaus was mainly by who? Um, Sergio, or maybe not Sergio. Um, I forget the guy. No, uh, no, no. But the um, the animation studio uh, i i forget it's it's his oh, name oh. uh it, it's it's gotcha, a three okay. a three letter because i thought uh, we just covered something that he did again um, or maybe not maybe he just came up in conversation yeah i think so maybe around the despicable me uh stuff yeah but, probably uh, yeah but that's kind of weird because usually you want that credit usually it's like oh this studio does this yeah like usually there's not bragging rights but claiming there's sure. something about claiming the film mm-hmm. you know and, and honestly it's it's in animation where it's so hard to track quality, your best chance at tracking quality. Right. Uh, it, it may be pre-research for yourself or, you know, folks at home. So uh, both of these studios seem to be only in support roles uh, from what I can tell, though. Um, maybe two has make a whole, but under Williams' guidance, uh, I think there is a very good effect. This is a very, very good movie. I was what? shocked. I was shocked. Really? This is an awesome action adventure movie for are you kids, serious for, for Jeez, adults your intro i was thinking this was gonna be <laughs> a poop film yeah yeah well i think i think i i 
my my thoughts here is that I think Williams slaps it together ah, under okay. his guidance. It, it really does. It it makes a makes a a great product. Uh, this film is a straight up fantasy adventure pirate movie, uh, and really emphasis on the adventure too. Uh, this feels like an updated version of Sinbad or one of those classic Odyssey movies. Really, uh, and and yeah, I, I loved it because it can also do a lot more than those old movies, who, which are a little corny and you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, it it really brought it home. Um, uh, the sea beast is only one of many amazing creatures in the designs of this film. Uh, we get a pirate adventure being the primary hook of this film, but. As with all, you know, kind of mixed Disney's properties, there's got to be a creature involved. There's got to be right, some yeah. sort of, you know, cute kind of thing uh, to to uh, bring us sell around. Sell those toys. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Although, I don't know how much they're selling, because I didn't even know, like, you're not hearing anything about this film. Yeah. You're hearing nothing about it. Yeah. Uh, Part it, of the reason why that's Netflix is so annoying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the sheer content of stuff, and other times it's just like, you guys don't know what to shine a light on. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. The animation itself, by the way, what do we get? Oh, uh, it, phenomenal. I have plenty of notes with it as okay, far gotcha. as how the fidelity of this film looks phenomenal. Like crisp? It, oh. Vibrant? Honestly, yeah. a, a new benchmark, I would say. No. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. I mean, just just talking about just some of the hook as far as an elevator pitch, folks. Um, you know, the Sea Beast, uh, that is the title of this film, is actually one of many sea beasts and, and one of many beasts in general. Um, there's awesome creature design here. Uh, we get some great, actually, kind of... Godzilla style creature on creature <laughs> kaiju action, which is which is <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's like it's awesome for a kids movie too. Yeah. It's like it's it's all killer here. The action sequences are stellar, though. Uh, very creative uh, circumstances around how stakes are being brought into this. I mean, just so night and day to what the average kids movie will be that you don't feel any kind of risk for these characters i was actually like invested in are they going to survive which is odd that's to say, awesome but no, yeah it's freaking awesome and it's it's how these action sequences are, are 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 portrayed and the kinetic feel of them if anything reminded me a lot of the the best uh shots from incredibles 2 where we have just the camera really swooping around and, yes. and yeah yes. it's just got just great rhythm and great momentum on screen Wow. Um, I, I just, I, man, almost shot for shot, I was just constantly being impressed by this film. Uh, every action sequence is good. Uh, and I, 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 again, shocked is, is the word. Was not expecting this one. No, no, absolutely not. And that's awesome that it just came, it's so under the radar. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely a good surprise. And also, I kind of am liking the premise. Yeah. I mean, we do have like. It's a straight up pirate movie. You know, there's yeah. no and you can't, sequel baggage it has to worry about. It's or like, anything. what took so long to make a kid's animation pirate movie? Because <laughs> right. you have How to Train Your Dragon, which is like Viking esque, yeah. but it's not pirate, not yeah. like tropical pirate. Oh, yeah. This is hardcore, like, our, you know, me, matey. Yeah. Kind of Thing. What that's great, yeah. And you're just fighting big creatures. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's great. It's great. There is a plot, of course, uh, that involves a kid, and, and I'll get into that a little bit. Right, but right, uh, right. as far as animation wise, uh, one of uh, my you know one of my my best notes for this is that you know some aspects 
really do look like the best CGI that I've ever seen. Uh, tactile wow. things like water, surfaces of wood, even color contrast. Uh, you know, I mean, these things may, be, may seem minor, but when you consider it's a pirate movie, water is probably a good 90% of the screen, and the ship is, is constantly in focus. Yeah. So these are important things. If I really want to be positive here, it was almost photorealistic. Uh, like, it is... No. Uh, I'm telling you, it is a good... It's that good film yeah gotta uh, watch it gotta uh, watch well, it now you for one absolutely because my boy's in it <laughs> <laughs> no, i was talking about you just being a cgi snob and then looking at you know okay that too you have a point yeah. <laughs> but yes your boy is in it <laughs> carl urban carl urban <laughs> Uh, but no, that's awesome to hear. And you're so spot on on the boat and the water. You better make that look good. Yeah. Because it's going to be a big and, part of the movie. And boy, it, 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 it does look good. Uh, character designs, I was a little bit hit or miss. Um, this plays into a little bit of my critique uh, of, uh, I mean, where this kind of clocks back for me. is just the fact that it does have to tell a little bit of a... A semi-generic story, uh, just I think for its mass market type of appeal, it's yeah. almost its Netflix fodder, uh, fodder appeal to it that it right, needs right. to be watched in in high quantity. It plays into a lot of the voice acting talent just not hitting for me here, oh. your boy included. Uh, I don't think anyone was really bad. If anything, it was almost like. I don't know. It was something that... I, well, let me say this. It's nothing that a kid would notice. Uh, so we can clock it back a little bit there. But I, I, just, I just don't think, like, the voices matched the character designs. Uh, and also even, huh. like, lip syncing specifically. And, I, and I, I believe me, I was, like, watching this It was thing. off. Well, it, that would be on animation then. That yeah, got that wrong. Yeah. Carl Urban. There was... Uh, what's our... Uh, the, the other guy. Uh, he was in... Um, uh, Chernobyl. Uh, yeah, uh, Jared Harris. Yes, I think so. It's like Captain Crow. Is that yes, well? yes. So a little bit of mismatch as far as voice acting. Were they talent. not kinetic? Were you know when when shit was going crazy, you weren't getting it in their voice or their emotion, or you uh, mean just literally the match of the character you're watching on screen? Yeah, you weren't almost sinking like the voice wasn't making sense yeah the voice wasn't making sense for the character and i think that for for my critical eye it looked like vocal syncing with the actual lip movements and things like that it just didn't didn't look too stellar right. which is uh which that shame. would be on animation department yeah, yeah yeah which is a shame i think it's maybe a little bit casting uh definitely animation department it's kind of surprising we don't really and that's that's why i really took a note of it because it's like it almost know. always works yeah whether it's nick cage and the crudes oh, or, right right yeah uh yeah ex- you're, you're so right because it is kind of like uh, you know what do you got to lose you know what i mean it's 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 you know it's just a voice into the thing but I, i'm telling you there was it wasn't it wasn't selling it it wasn't selling the characters too much there is huh. also uh, a kid character in this uh who is pretty annoying but i guess that's what you have to include <laughs> uh it's a shame because you know what i mean you get such great pirate aspects to this film you know i mean it is just like it is a raw pirate action adventure and cardinal sin and it's kids. put a kids in a kids movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean hey listen i'll i'll but it wasn't uh, cute little kid which which what we get in so many animated she films she was cute was... Uh, she just has way too much of the the arc of the film on her shoulders okay so you know I mean it's um, you know for the story itself she's always being thrown in to be a wrench in the works and therefore is kind of annoying is it like you know? the girl is it like the um, kid character in Wreck-It Ralph 
possibly. I don't say I forget. Wreck-It Ralph. Okay, gotcha. All right, so that's a black hole. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this movie is a great watch, folks. Um, and I really didn't expect that. This is a great watch for kids for young teens and uh you know as far as an appreciation of animation and just a good action adventure movie uh a really good watch for everyone um probably the best animation netflix has helmed so far and seriously uh sets a new bar for visual fidelity i'm telling you tech check this one out and definitely keep an eye on this as far as technical wise come award season we're gonna go ahead and give the sea beast a 79 wow Seventy nine is really good. I'm telling you, I would have to go back and see what you gave Klaus. Sure. Klaus was Netflix, and you love that. I feel like I that did. might have gotten the '80s. Uh, yeah, potentially. But and that, that was also that was years ago. Too. Very unique style as well. Yeah. And I like the idea. Okay, if it's not a wide release, so it's not really in theater. I do like this idea of just like you. Could, this is a total family night film. Yes. When you have kids, mm-hmm. like make popcorn, sit down, fun and action. Every, the, the adults will enjoy it with the kids. Yeah, a lot of people can get behind pirates. You know, what I mean, it's not you know <laughs> yeah. too out there. It's yeah, it's great. Wow, it's great. Uh, it's a, a really really good surprise yeah. actually. And if it looked yeah. that good, I would be pretty interested in checking it I'm out. I'm telling you, to, uh, really. I, if it's a visual feast, I'm in a dying way, yeah. to honestly to to know what your thoughts are because it's uh, again. The no, yeah, I got no text from you. I got no. <laughs> I got nothing before the show. I thought this was all going to be shit today. Right, right. We'll do a follow up. Yeah. Now, so. <laughs> wow. Okay. Seventy nine percent, Finn. That's a good surprise for you. I mean, yeah. That's just watching. Purpose. Honestly, uh, it was it was a real big highlight in um, in kind of a in kind of a disappointing week. Uh, so uh, and believe me, this was not because of a drought. I watched this early on because technically this was released. Uh, you know, uh, like July eighth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been out for a little bit, but. Um, I'm telling you, just for the visual eye candy yeah. alone. It's a uh, shame we haven't been hearing anything about yeah, it. It yeah. really is a shame. It's uh, it's worth your time. And that's where I say maybe keep an eye on it for award season because something like this can fly under the radar, but... I felt like Big Zero, Big Hero 6 did. Or maybe I had that wrong um, until award season. Yes, until award season, uh, precisely. Uh, and I think here as well, especially with such a, such a horrifically weak performance from Lightyear, uh, and maybe even a little bit turning red as well. Uh, this film might have a chance to crack the you know no Pixar Oscar type of curse. That, right, uh, that, of course, you know, of course. That follows uh, award season so much. All right, folks. So the Sea Beast on Netflix, seventy nine percent. Check it out. Um, we're gonna keep it going with Netflix. This is the Gray Man, and I mean, it's talk about punch. This is the Russo brothers, mm-hmm. which is correct me if I'm wrong. The first thing they directed since uh, I, I thought that initially, they, apparently, they did a small movie for Apple TV uh, called Cherry with Tom Holland. I don't uh, know. About oh wait, it. no, I think I do know about it. Oh yeah, yeah. But regardless, it's no one knew. No one knew. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like this has a, especially just returning to an action set piece. You know, this right. Is, this is post Avengers. You know. Big, so as far as the Gray Man, what kind of is the premise? I think this is definitely getting a decent amount of not buzz, but they're putting some uh, marketing money behind it for sure. Yeah, the, yeah, I mean, the Gray Man is pretty straightforward. This is your spy action uh, thriller. Uh, in the theme of Netflix scalping talent, uh, the Russo brothers are, are back. You know, one movie after that, uh, uh, Cherry with with Tom Holland, and they uh, were uh, executive producers of Everything Everywhere. Correct? Oh, very true, very true. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and certainly a a, um, a contributing factor to the quality of that film. Yeah, you know? but now uh, they're really back in their comfort zone of blockbuster action, and uh, I think uh, along with their favorite Avenger, Chris Evans. Uh, you know, I, I was I was excited for this film. I was definitely excited. 
For Chris Evans? Uh, I was excited for the whole cast, honestly. Okay. The Gray Man is, uh, you know, a very sleek, sharp-looking action film, spy action film, I should say, specifically. Ryan Goslin is our criminal-turned-CIA agent. Uh, it's pretty simple from there. He steps in some shit, ends up on the wrong side of his employers, and it goes from there. You know what I mean? I think that's where the generic aspects really come into play, is, uh, is the writing and... Uh, that's where we're returned to it. Best part about uh, about this film is I think we get to see Chris Evans a little bit back into it, channeling his inner asshole again. <laughs> you know, it's he's been so squeaky clean. Hmm. You know, Captain America. It's it's you know this along with um, Knives Out. It's it's kind of refreshing seeing him in a villain role again. Uh, and he plays the. I could see that. Yeah, the uh, the pri- uh, private contractor that uh, is there to 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 foil uh, Ryan Gosling uh, to it, pushes him farther. Uh, you know, there's a lot of you know sprinkled in you know one one time hitmen in there. Uh, it's uh, I, I think. I think trying to go for very John Wick feel, and I'm trying my. <laughs> so far, I've been trying my best to dance around what I that 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 factor, but it really is want to be John Wick, and I, we bring up John Wick probably the most than any other film it's on the podcast. Funny. Yeah, I would say so. I know, and I, I don't necessarily it, like that, that. Lord of the Rings, maybe James Bond. Yeah, yeah. But is it a wannabe, or is it copying certain things, certain elements, or could no, you literally I think take it's out? Wannabe. Yeah, I think it's okay. I think it, it, it's imitator. You know, what I mean, it is not uh, not even like shoulders on giants. You know, what I mean, it's it's not even using a John Wick setup as momentum is is very plainly a lesser version. Uh, and I did not uh, for that reason a worse version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, I, I you know some of where these John Wick vibes or, or rather wannabe John Wick vibes come uh, is is just how the chase is structured here. I mean, within the first 10 minutes, uh, Gosselin is, you know, again, steps in shit and is on the wrong side of his employers, and that is then taken to a point that everyone's after him. Uh, And in in that, it kind of misunderstands what works in a John Wick, or even a John Wick 2, where that is the plot of everything, or uh, is it 3? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Where everything's against, you know, uh, Keanu. Uh, And I think it's, it's... a little bit of the pacing. I mean, it, it's it's an odd thing that I'm I'm saying this, especially coming off at once a time in the, uh, once upon a time in the West. But the pacing is almost too fast that it makes the writing cartoonish, and it also makes it in, in, inconsequential. And and that is no better illustrated than what gets us into the mess in the first place. Um, it's just it's just so it's so weak. Part of as well in action scenes. We get a lot of long takes, uh, colors, backlighting, silhouettes, which is, of course, iconic for the Wick series and the the fight choreography there. Improvised weapons, uh, very iconic to John Wick, you know what I mean? And again, that can all be grabbed uh, and used, but it feels like there's a very intentional ripoff going on here. Yeah, like it doesn't feel genuine (laughs) in the film. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I, I would say my note here is it is ultimately an imitation. Not the, a good one. You know, I, I was really trying to do even some some research into the fight choreography because 
I would say for the directors as well, the fight choreography is never above a certain level. Uh, it is, you know, honestly, I would say probably Winter Soldier is still the peak there uh, as far as fight choreography. Yeah, it's not that impressive. Yeah. Marvel had never had impressive uh, fight choreography. Sure, sure. And well, and that's why I think Winter Soldier is the peak because, you know, I mean. No, I know. Yeah, it's 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 all, you know, Marvel Kung Fu. That's that's the meme in itself, you know. Right. But that's what doesn't sound, was a choreography, did they step it up a notch here? Uh, no, I, I, what, I guess my note is, is that it, it is not rising above that. It oh, falls huh. to the same pitfalls, and now it's having this identity crisis that, I, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. yeah. I think there's also a certain curse here because it's PG-13. You know what I mean? They, they, this is, if, oh. this is, if this wants to be Wick, well, guess what? You know, you gotta it's gotta, go gotta the be full, rated R. Be the full wick. Yeah, you gotta gotta get killed with a pencil. Yeah, you made you that know? comment about right. You made that comment a few times about some movies that should probably that should be rated R. Yeah, and you're probably right, and there probably should be. Mm, I mean, talk about Netflix fodder and trying mm-hmm. to cast the biggest net. Mm-hmm. But it's so this probably absolutely should have been rated R. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're trying to siphon that much off of John Wick. Is what for you're saying. sure, for sure. Uh, we also see some very annoying factors in how this film is shot. Uh, a, a lot of am. Amateurish sped up shots, like just like uh, they're they're making the footage faster. Some very very yucky CGI sprinkled into action sequences. Specifically, there is a a sequence in air uh, that uh, even Gosling, even even mindless thugs that we never know the name of, they are full CGI models, and it's like, oh, what no. is going on really? here? Like this looks not only terrible. Uh, it, uh, it's probably so expensive to make this movie. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, where, where are you putting your budget? It's, I would say it's sprinkled in for some pieces, uh, but it's definitely noticeable. Noticeable for me. Uh, and a heavy reliance on drone shots. Uh, I gotta say these drone shots were slightly interesting. In no way were they trying to blend in. Uh, so I kind of enjoyed how drastic some shots were. Okay. They feel... Like a shot you would see in animation, honestly, like a shot you would see <laughs> in CPs of how they whip around and orbit around a target in focus. You okay. know? But um, it was good. Yes. I, I think it looks a little cheap, these type of drone shots, just because maybe I, I'm so in tune with kind of tracking some of the real world technology behind these 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 drone cameras. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I know what it takes versus a red camera or something like that. But I, I gotta say, there was almost an identity. That was one of the the only pieces that was unique of this film in itself, and I don't think it was bad. If anything, it gave a cool film to it, a cool look okay. to the uh, to the cinematography. Again, there's a orbiting quality. Uh, it's also used to great effect in chase sequences in cars, which it almost looks like the camera's gonna, you know, slap into a car at one point to only zoom out of the way at the last moment. So there is a. There's an entertaining quality to watching it unfold on screen. Okay. So, That's one plus, uh, at least, in his favor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, but like I said, I, I, I am kind of 50-50 on it. I do think it is uh, distinctly cheap for the Russo brothers, and it makes me ask a lot of questions to where that budget was in the in the CGI then if they're saving uh, money elsewhere, uh, you know, in the actual shooting of this film. I think that's, I think if they're using CGI, that's where all the money goes to. Yeah. Because it's still expensive. They didn't look good. It's estimated $200 million. $200 million? And you wonder why Netflix is going to be putting ads. <laughs> unless you divvy up more money to them. So true. So true. Where are they getting that money? $200 million for what sounds like a more than subpar film. Yeah. Yeah, for less than subpar film. Yeah. I think what really sinks this film is just very, very 
very cliche writing. I mean, 100% cliche writing. Uh, 100% been there, done that, folks. Uh, I mean, if you even have a a cliff notes of uh, born the born trilogy, uh, cliff notes of uh, of of John Wick. Uh, I mean, it, there it's 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 all been there, done that. Uh, it's everything from the flash drive MacGuffin to Goslin having a heart of gold yet being a criminal to the villains being more cartoonish than these directors' comic book origins. <laughs> it's, you know, as much as I was um, praising the the return to form for Chris Evans, his character isn't necessarily good because it's it really it feels more cartoonish than than what's coming out in Marvel. It right was written now. poorly. Yeah, very it, poorly. Well, it should be no. So it wasn't. It was Joe Russo. So mm. one of the Russo's brothers was doing the screenplay, mm-hmm. and then all the other writers were the Marvel writers. Oh, really? For Captain America for the Avengers. So maybe they kind of they had an exodus. They they took their team with them. Maybe. Well, I think maybe like they that? were. The, yeah, I mean the, the money was there. Maybe there was a gap in the Marvel productions. Yeah. But the point is, like, what did they feel like they were on vacation? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is it really worse than Marvel, or were you just like? Yes. Yes. Okay. Especially because Marvel, I feel like, has been trying for you know, I don't know, Marvel. since since Phase Three to really make semi well written villains. You see this with Black Panther, Thanos. You know, being more fleshed out than just man in a CGI suit mm, okay. and he's bad. I will take that. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know for yeah. sure. I'll take that. Uh, so and 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 this, I mean, you know, Chris Evans isn't in a CGI suit, but the thing, the shit that comes out of his mouth is is bad. The most cartoon villain things I mean like you know and, and very early on they they pitch him as like this sociopath this uh, you know this uh, hitman that pushes the boundaries to get anything done sure. you know uh, in that it's very cliche he's like we have nowhere else to go he's off the grid and what's you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah just just not not good and, and I would say it really sinks the sinks the film uh, for the writing itself wow okay and well, we really only have one main female kind of Anna de Armas because she's in everything now <laughs> yeah right um, she's definitely the uh, you know the hot flavor of the month <laughs> any any fr- refreshing you thing- on her <laughs> no, it's just like, all right, you know, I guess, all right. Yeah, I thought she was all right in this film. Uh, believe it or not, uh, and I'm forgetting the um, uh, the woman's name, but uh, blue-haired chick from uh, Matrix uh, uh, Revelations. Or Revolu- Revol- oh, <laughs> really? Resurrections. She was like the only part that we both liked about yeah, it. Yeah, She was the best part. In fact, we said we want to see more from her and nothing, yeah, nothing yeah. else. Uh, <laughs> was that she, Jessica Henwick? I think so, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Henwick uh, uh, rings a bell. And uh, she was in this and, and very good as well. Wow, okay. So, I would say if any, in ways kind of outshined uh, De Armas, which I was surprised for because I'm definitely a fan of De Armas. So. Yeah, no, she's fine. She's good. Yeah. That's cool uh, to hear, though, actually, yeah, about her. Yeah. Blue-haired chick. Bugsy was her name, right? Bugs? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, you know, I, th- I think this film is, you know, almost harmlessly passable. <laughs> You can you can tell I'm getting exhausted, folks. With this stuff. I mean, come <laughs> it on. sounds very Netflix. I'm, yeah, I'm it, thinking the Adam Project. I'm thinking Free Guy. Oh, for sure, for sure. It is it is Netflix fodder to a T. And, and I will say, for some aspects, drone shots, 
maybe some of the color work, uh, maybe some of the, the, a little bit of the choreography in the fights. It is a good looking film. So if you're just looking kind of just for that visual, you know, that visual candy, uh, I think that's fine. You know, there are far worse things you could watch with your time. For instance, I mean, I would say this is Leagues Above Spiderhead, uh, which we covered a few weeks ago as well. Oh, a little bit more to it than Spiderhead, yeah. Yeah, yeah a little bit more to it and, and just, just uh, at least wants to have more fun, you know, right, <laughs> with right. its premise. You know, Action Eye Candy is okay every now and again. Uh, and maybe this gets a little bit more of a priority watch for you folks at home that love some of these actors, you know, these main three. If you, if Ryan Gosling is your guy. Well, guess what? Maybe that's there. If Chris Evans, you're, you're craving old school Chris Evans. This was, again, much like Knives Out, kind of a, a return to those type of asshole roles that he was in. Um, maybe that's a little bit more of above average, but uh, don't expect much more than that. We're going to go ahead and give The Gray Man a 53. 53. I would love, it's, it's funny how often we're ending up here. With some Netflix films. <laughs> yeah. You know, we really are. It's true. And maybe that's just, I don't know what it is. I don't know, once when you have that Netflix money, you know, I hear, when I listen to interviews about people who work with Netflix, is how mm-hmm. great Netflix is to work with because really? you're able to do whatever you want. Oh. Except for maybe when it comes to comedy specials. Sure, but sure. for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, it's it's free reign kind of. Yeah. You know, one, if yeah. they hire somebody, it's because they believe in you to make the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, I wonder, just kind of theorizing about it now, basically, mm-hmm. just openly thinking about mm-hmm. it. Maybe there is something to dealing with classic studio producers and executive producers, as, <laughs> right. as horrible as that sounds, yeah, yeah. because it seems like that's what ruins movies often. Yep. Maybe there isn't enough bouncing ideas off the wall a little sure, bit. Sure, sure. Or, you know? or or just even the principle that constraints breed creativity. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, um, but I, I do feel like something's going on at Netflix. Yeah. Because I think it's been pretty consistent as far as like not the best things being made. Sure, when it comes to sure. their what they're promoting as big blockbuster films without being right. in theaters. And even even though I'm an outlier, you can say the same thing about Don't Look Up. Uh, I don't know actually what their big November release is going to be. Um, oh, for this year? Yeah. It's got to be something though, right? Yeah. They I must mean, have I thought this the was can. the biggest, but yeah, I guess it's just the summer action slot that they have. And you know what I mean by shining a light? You know, even like even on places like Rotten Tomatoes, the CBS is getting good scores mm-hmm. and everything like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, what do you guys? What's is your it priorities? me not seeing it? Maybe the algos are just like I'm fighting sure. against me. But I've been seeing a lot of Gray Man stuff. Oh yeah, they're definitely pushing it, and, and as far as the press circuit as well too, uh, for the three uh, main actors. Yes, of course. I don't know. It's just weird, and it just it seems like things just aren't firing the way they should yeah. be there. Yeah. And for two hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Reportedly, but that probably sounds about right. Yeah, boy, I don't know. It's a lot to make a film like this. I, I think uh, Netflix was maybe looking for a franchise starter, especially they say, "Oh, the Russo—they slapped that they together." Should have bought John Marvel. Wick. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Apparently, they have a lot of money, but yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, but but fifty-three for the Gray Man, kind of in that uh, that uh, it's in yeah, blah. the Netflix bin. Maybe yeah. we can call that now yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right, folks. So, but this one is the hot tamale. <laughs> this one's one that's been talked about the trailers endlessly in theaters. This is Jordan Peele back for his third film, and it is not just much anticipated by you, like you said before, Ben. It it really oh, yeah, is. Yeah. So many people are looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, I have 
not watched a single Jordan Peele film. What? I don't know if I should say that out really? loud, but yeah, this one I have the most interest in. Sure, I was waiting to hear your judgment from you. Okay, this is Nope by Jordan Peele. What do we have? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Horror's Prodigy uh, is is back. Jordan Peele uh, with his third film. Uh, he's of course done acting work and producing work quite a bit in between the time between um, uh, us uh, and, and this film. You know, stick with me here because I, I think I gotta get some thoughts out. I, originally, the maybe the draft for this week was going to be covering us and Get Out, but uh, you know we had good new releases and you know different projects. Get Out, I think, was really lightning in the bottle. Um, you know th- that match of racial commentary with horror tropes flipped on its head. It's truly a great watch still today. It's not. It wasn't even just like oh that was good for the time. You know, no, this it is works. still great yeah. watch. Um, his second film. Us, you know, while bold in its message, uh, lost some steam there. Uh, I had a very complex juggling act to basically taking socioeconomic commentary and mixing it with horror. And it's just, it was just a little bit too much of a complicated juggling act. Not okay. a bad movie, uh, but, but not great, and certainly not the heights uh, of Get Out. As for Nope, Sadly, I think this might be his weakest out of the three. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, wow. Instead of more complex themes being juggled, uh, I think the themes are just a little bit too straightforward, a little bit unsatisfying, and if I really want to be critical of the film as a whole, you kind of walk away from it with a, huh, well, all right. You know, <laughs> you gotta walk away with uh, a lack of electricity to get that buzz and that talk that was so key to the success of his films. Of his two especially films, that, two especially films. the first one, like yeah. that. Oh, that you, one. yeah, you gotta see Get Out, or you gotta see the Twist and Nuts, well, or us. yeah, or just you, yeah, leaving that film and mm-hmm. have, feeling a certain way about. It. Instead of feeling that's a long way to go between being so amped up and being like, "Wow, that was a good film too." Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't think it was outright bad, but I got to be honest, it did feel a a little bit of a waste of time. And um, I really hate to say that because I love Peel as a director so, so much. I think he's he's awesome. He's a rock star right now. Yeah. But uh, it it just it just felt very boring in the first half. Uh, This first half, the time that is utilized is split between. Getting familiar with a brother-sister duo, then as well, uh, kind of a B-plot that tells a backstory of one of the characters, but also is there to tell his theming uh, and his message through the film that is going to be balanced uh, with the horror. Uh, This balancing, I think, is a theme of animal nature and animal cruelty. I say that because it's... I, I, I know that's the message. It's more so, is it really the most relevant to the horror in the ways that it was in Us and Get Out? Uh, there's a there's a poor blending of that there, or poor follow-through. As far as, um, the, if I can stop you there. Sure. As far as that message alone, was it annoying and eye-rolly? Uh, no, no. Nothing, nothing woke, nothing, yeah, no. Okay, because that takes me to... Um, the uh, Star Wars. Uh, that was with Rose when they're on the island. Oh, Last Jedi. Yes. Oh, right, Last right. Jedi. There's yeah, like a huge like a animal yeah. like scene and it was just like, oh my God. No, nothing like that. If anything, much more of a naturalist... Um 
I, I don't know. Okay, it, it just it's wasn't cr- overall. Wasn't yeah. it? it wasn't cringy. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, it is a bit confusing. Uh, I say beyond the shadow of a doubt. I, I, I think or I, I know that this is the this is the theming here, but it's also just for how poorly it meshes meshes in the second act or, or the second half of this film. It's confusing the relevance uh, of what we put the focus on in the first half. Right. It's very okay. like it's like wait what? what and where did this tie in exactly? I mean I kind of get it in a big broad picture, but was it really uh, worth it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was it really worth it is where this wasted aspect is coming from. Okay, uh, the second half uh, falls short as well because they're just really is just a lot of spectacle, and I don't think it has good tiebacks to this theme of horror like he has been known for. That is my critique for pretty much all of, of this film, and I, I gotta say, I gotta stay away from spoilers because, you know, I, I want to approach it at a high level. This first trailer of this film I thought was excellent, one of the best cut trailers I've seen in a while, mm. and the second trailer had me cursing at the s- screen. I felt the sting <laughs> of spoilers, you know? Uh, I, I really, you know, want to tread lightly here because uh, I think for a lot of folks at home, you're probably gonna say, well, I'm gonna see it regardless, you know? I, 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 want, I like his films, and I'm gonna see it regardless, right, and I think right. that's maybe uh, a, a totally fine uh, a way to approach it. You know, I want to stay away from as much shock value as possible. So let's talk about some of the specifics. Uh, the story here is a brother and sister struggling to operate a Hollywood stunt horse ranch. Simultaneously, again, in, in, in this first half of the film, there is a B-plot that is a backstory that tries to juggle some of these themes that I mentioned. It doesn't blend super well, but luckily we do get some really solid performances here. Okay, cool. Um, Kiki Palmer is in full swing uh, for a return to acting. Um, she was in Lightyear. Uh, she was also in Alice, which we didn't cover on the on the program. Okay. Uh, but both within the same year. She's pretty great here and, and just very charismatic. Definitely a character that's going to work for you or it's, or it's not. It's going to be kind of uh, either you love the character on screen yeah. or you're annoyed by the character on screen. Okay. So I, I luckily was in the love category of it, and I think she's great, and I definitely want to see more from her. Okay, you know, that's good. In kind of returning to acting. Uh, and I'm very happy to see Daniel Kaluuya back in action with Jordan Peele. Uh, I mean, these two are a pair. The truly, truly a, a Robert, De, Robert De Niro to Scorsese, <laughs> uh, it's looking like. Uh, he plays uh, more of a sad, reserved uh, side of the siblings. Uh, but if anything, it reminded me of his work uh, in Black Mirror for that reason, that it's it's very you know melancholy when it comes to it. Uh, this may not be a super standout role for him, but... It, you know, he's seriously one of my favorite actors working today. Uh, go, really? That oh, much praise? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe not in this role specifically, but I, I love seeing him on screen. I mean, go back to our wow. Judas and the Black like, Messiah. Oh, um, yes. You uh, did review. like that film. Yeah. Yeah, you very much like that film. Um, I mean, I think he would win that, that Oscar any day of the week, and I really mean that. And though the role isn't super, it's not giving him a huge platform to really show his acting chops. Yeah. 
there's a quietness, there's a reserve to him, and and he's still doing a great job. Yeah, he's job. still presenting something on screen to yeah, the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty high praise, though. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But these two, I would say, go to waste a little bit. Uh, like I said, it, the first half is not only slightly boring, but then it meshes poorly with the side story that does not have a, a bottom line. It just does not have a satisfying tie-in. You can maybe say that with uh, with us as well. Going back to the film that. A lot of theater audiences or a lot of first watches, you're kind of left scratching your head and unpacking it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Where with us, I kind of fell in love with it the more and more I unpacked it. And on on rewatches, I was unpacking this film and kind of getting more frustrated (laughs) alone. Uh, Which I don't think was so good, you know. That's not a good thing, no. Yeah, it's not a good sign. Not a good sign. (laughs) But uh, overall, I can't say... Uh, I was uh, too satisfied uh, with with uh, with a lot of this. I, I really don't want to be harsh, but um, to me, it felt like an M Night Shyamalan uh, type of type of vehicle, type of movie. Oh. That yeah, there's a hook. Yeah, there's a twist that almost no one could see coming. Kind of not worth it. Yeah, kind of not worth it, and kind of falls flat a little bit with the, again, this blended uh, commentary that Peel is known for. You know, it is his hallmark uh, to his horror. I think the technical elements of this film looks very good uh, and might save it slightly for me, uh, specifically the quality of night-dark uh, sequences look amazing. I don't know if uh, there's there's maybe some new tech around the cameras, but it really looks like good. The, like the filter work and everything like yeah, that. Yeah. Do you think they're filming in day and just using a certain filter? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I could be wrong. I could right, be wrong, right. but I think I think some of the technical aspects are very impressive here. Okay. Um, which, again, could be a positive. There's uh, some eye candy there, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, I mean, <laughs> it's the whole theme this week is eye candy. <laughs> it's so true. No brain candy. I want brain candy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be engaged uh, I, again. I, I can't. I can't escape this feeling. Even even how kind of um, you know in, in really thinking critically about this film throughout the week, um, I was I was trying to you know analyze it and 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 give it a shot because uh, I wanted to like it and I wanted to root for Jordan Peele, but I could not escape this feeling walking away from the film that I did not feel ecstatic to recommend it to anyone. I feel like it's something that, hey, if you have the time, maybe watch it. If you love Jordan Peele, give it a watch. Yeah. Uh, I do not feel it's something that you need to race to the theaters for. Oh, damn. Uh, And, uh, yeah, uh, I just... uh, I'm never going to watch a Jordan Peele film. (laughs) I thought this was going to be the one. <laughs> you thought it was going to be the one. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, again, I, I think um, like we saw from the shift to Get Out to Us, uh, and now once again to a much more drastic degree from Us to Nope, uh, Jordan Peele's directing takes a preference for spectacle over the substance his horror was first adored for and what kind of gave him this you know, prolific stance in horror. Uh, I, I'm still rooting for him plenty. I just feel like this one is a, yeah, a little bit of a miss. We're going to go ahead and give Nope a 59. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. a 59 is not terrible. It's not terrible. No, it's oh, it's getting in there just like this, but it's yeah. still in that category of this is kind of uh, eh, film. Exactly. That's what 59 is to me. Where, yeah. where 50 might be like, oh, man. Yeah. 59 is like, eh. 
It's right there. <laughs> I think you made a good point, though, where obviously if you're a fan of Jordan Peele and much almost like how we went through those comedies because it's just a study and seeing how yes. a director evolves, mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously it, it would be probably something for you to watch or at least you're going to watch. Yeah. But this yeah. maybe manages expectations because obviously from the get-go, I could almost see looking at the ratings and the critics and mm. the, the reviews of this mm-hmm. that it was being it was being clocked too high. Mm. And just just knowing nothing, sure. truly, just like the 10,000-foot view of it, yep. it yep. didn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, I don't want to invalidate, you know, you could find that his, his commentary mes- message of animal nature – Maybe that blends well for you, and maybe there was there was an artistry that I missed mm-hmm. here. I mean, I think it's entirely possible. But again, what it returned to for me was a lack of electricity that made me want to recommend this, and that was by far not a factor at all for his previous two films. If no, anything, that definitely. that was that probably was, almost shocking. You yeah. walking out of the film, yeah. I, I think I told you uh, in, in some of the week, but I was watching this and I really didn't take a lot of notes because I wanted to pay attention to it. Yeah. I wanted to give it its proper due, but also because there wasn't a lot to take notes about. So wow, yeah. it really is surprising. Yeah, uh, and, and I really, folks, I hate to be just a contrarian for contrarian's sake. No, I mean, no, no, no. believe me, you know, I gave Crimes of the Future, you know, a very positive score, and that's a weird movie. Uh, so I like weird movies. Uh, this one, even being a weird movie, a weird horror movie, it's just not doing it. Well, yeah, you just can't be weird to be weird. <laughs> sure, sure. Look at Mad God, that same week of Crime with the, yep, with the Future. Yep, yep. I mean, apparently it's the weirdest film ever, basically. You know? <laughs> one of the weirdest <laughs> ones you almost saw, and you very much enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a shame, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people end up feeling that same way, because... Mm-hmm. You know, you put the hype there, mm-hmm. and you better have something to back it up. Maybe that was it. Uh, maybe I was just I I got wrapped up in the uh, hype. You're not of one it. to get fangirly. Yeah. You're not one to get fangirly about something. And yeah. I think part of that's because you watch so many films. Yeah. Where it's just like, okay, I know I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. Let's see how it is. I exactly. think you. I think you're much more analytical of it about yeah. than others. But uh, yeah, fifty nine for nope. I mean, I mean, you know, I I think the logic there is sound. Yeah, I think it, it hopefully it illustrates a little bit of the blindness, but as well, it's by no means, uh, I, you know, it's not south of 50 in that I'm saying this is a bad film. Right. And, it's and, just and, the content that is there is. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just not there, not pulling it for me. So, but I think that's enough. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. So we had a couple surprises this week. And yeah. one, I mean, I mean, I would say actually maybe three. I mean, you look at some of these films and. You know, uh, the comedy was better than we thought. The animation was better mm-hmm. than you thought. And then, you know, we had some stinkers <laughs> in there as well. To think that those two films brought up this week. I mean, again, I was I was very excited for this week because I thought this was going to be a killer week, you know, all around. I mean, yeah. Looking at these scores, Vin, I mean, do you want to add anything else? No, I think uh, the best, well, the, the, the best thing I can say is don't let me deflate. If you are hyped uh, and you are, you are really all about Nope, and maybe to your point, Tom, <laughs> this was going to be the first first Jordan Peele movie you're going to I was getting see. excited about it. And God knows, us because, you know, the, like you said, the first trailer looked good, yep. and all you need for me is horses and Western <laughs> feel, and it's just like, ooh! <laughs> you know? You're there, you're there. Uh, but let me say, I mean, if... You you still want to see it. Don't let my score, my perspective, I am one perspective of many. Go see this film because, your bottom line, you are supporting one of the coolest directors working right now. For sure, for you know? sure. But awesome, Vin. Uh, Vin, we appreciate you in this week and the movies you watch. We'll see you next week, folks. We're going to run it down one more time here. Once Upon a Time in the West with a 49%. The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad with a 68 
the Sea Beast with a 79, the Gray Man with a 53, and Nope with a 59%. We thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth the watch or just to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Thank you.